Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, everybody. I am so grateful that you're all here today because this, this teaching this weekend, this series that we started last week, this is, this is bedrock. This is foundational stuff. This is stuff that's going to give us the equipment that we need, uh, bring us to peace, bring us to joy, bring us to contentment that we need with a subject that we deal with every single day. Just out of curiosity, just with a show of hands, could I see the individuals in this room that have absolutely no need for money whatsoever? Let me see your hands. <laughs> If you have figured out a way to do that, you know, you're still living, you're still on the earth, you're still breathing, eating, and don't need any money. I want to see your hand. All right. Well, I want to find out what you're doing better than us, okay? So um, what is this series about? This series is, is really a continuation of the theme that we started at the beginning of the year, and that is the subject of consecration. Consecration is an extremely important subject in the life of a believer, Consecration is the act of, the progression of. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that starts when we're first born again and it continues all through days that we're on this earth. It's the process of, the best way I can put it is getting further and further away from our old life and getting more and more conformed in the image and likeness of Jesus. Amen? So the more that we take the areas of our life and we place them willingly place them under the control of God, under the influence of God, submitting them to God, the more and more we become conformed in the image and likeness of our Savior. Amen? So we started at the beginning of the year talking about just our, our lives, our soul, the areas of our lives where uh, you know, we live on an everyday basis and, and taking those areas and making sure that we are loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, our strength, everything that's within us. And so as you go along in life, <clears throat> you, you come to realize, uh, I'm talking about as a believer, we start out being born again, which affects our spirit on the inside. Our spirit becomes alive unto God. But then we start realizing in our soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, it's your personality, and we start to realize, well, you know, this area here is not really honoring God, and I really need to take this area and bring it under his submission, under his control, uh, bring it under his... Um, bringing it into the kingdom, basically what it comes down to. So the topic that we're going into this weekend, as it pertains to consecration, is we're going to be studying some scriptures from the Word, um, some Old Testament uh, types and shadows, I'll explain what that is later, to bring us to the place to understand that in order for us to be 100% consecrated to God, we can't just do it with our soul and leave the financial part of our life out of it. Because you and I both know the financial part of our lives plays a very strong part in our soul. What are you talking about, Pastor? You're sounding uh, a little confusing here. Well, let me just ask you this question again. If you want to raise your hands, fine. If not, would you agree that finances is one area that causes the most stress and anxiety in our lives. I mean, let's be honest with each other. Most marriage counseling that goes on, I don't care if it's in a church, if it's, a, if it's in a secular setting, can all be traced back to financial pressure. 
One or the other loses a job. One or the other is overspending. Somebody's got an expectation of something that's not being accomplished. Uh, there's financial pressure. We don't, I don't have enough money to go shop. I don't have enough money to buy food. I don't have enough money to make my mortgage payments. My job is not paying me what I should be being paid. All of this stress, all of this anxiety, all of this tension that it creates. Let me ask you another question. Do you think that all of that anxiety, that stress, that pressure, that aggravation, do you think that that escapes the attention of God? Of course not. He's a good father. Amen? Would we not agree that God is a good father? Yes or no? Yes. God, is God a good God? Yes. Then how good would he be if he left us on this planet to fend for ourselves when it comes to finances? Yet as soon as some of you heard about God and money, oh, money, oh, I had to come to church today, right? He's going to talk about money. Where else are you going to talk about money where there's an actual solution? See, you, you're going to go home later and maybe have dinner with somebody or something, and inevitably... The subject of money is going to come up. You're going to talk about, um, if you're on the older side of things and the more senior side of things, you're going to start talking about how your water bill is now compared to when you first got married. <laughs> I can't believe it. $20 a month and we used to take baths and wash the cars. And <laughs> sooner or later, the topic of money is going to come up. You're going to talk about your car payment. You're going to talk about... Whatever, the, your interest might have went up. Maybe you have a, one of those mortgages that fluctuates from year to year. You're going to talk about interest, and you're going to curse the bank, and you're going to curse the bank president and everything else. You're going to talk about money. But listen, this is the only scenario that we can talk about money and actually find a solution to the situation. We have a God that loves us. We have a good, good father who cares for us, and he's given us instruction in the word so that we can live on this earth. It's true. It can be done. It can be done. You can live on this earth and not be under that, that, that weight and that pressure every month of how you're going to get your bills paid. There is a way to do it. Oh, yeah, it's easy for you to say. You're the pastor. Honey, we'll sit down and talk someday. Okay? Now, let me just give you a few things before we get into my notes. Okay? And make sure that I get into my notes, all right? Because let me warn you ahead of time. This is a subject, and anybody that knows me, this is a subject that I can teach and teach and teach and teach because this is the one area in our lives, my wife and I and our family, that God has proven himself so ridiculously faithful. Faithful. We have been in bankruptcy. We have been in a situation not knowing we're going to live, what are we going to drive, where are we going to eat, what are we going to do? and God every single time has taken us through. And honestly, we know what it means when the Bible talks about going from glory to glory in this area, we know what it's like. Now, you sit in there and you go, yeah, sure, he's probably born with a silver spoon in his mouth. No, nah. no. We know what it's like to be in need. We know what it's like to be in need for years. We know what it's like to be under that kind of pressure, and I believe that's why this subject is so alive to us. Okay, so what I'm going to present to you, I want you to understand that it's coming from predominantly based on the word, but it's also coming from life experience based on the word. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not asking you to put your trust in my life experience. What I'm asking you 
is to just listen to what the Bible says about this subject. Now, if you're the type of person that maybe you were raised in a family where they created an atmosphere of fear in your life, you're never going to have any food, we're never going to have anything, your grandfather didn't have anything, your father didn't have anything, we're just not the way it is, generation after generation of poverty, please try to act like you're listening to this for the first time. If you were raised in a church, a denomination, a doctrine, where they taught you that God wants you poor, God doesn't want you to have anything, God doesn't want you to have wealth, they lied to you, okay? And I'm asking you to give me the opportunity to show you from the word of God what God has said, not what your old pastor, not what your old priest, not what your old bishop, whatever, I don't care who it was. Let the word of God speak to you, okay? But I'm gonna warn you ahead of time. If you allow the wall to come up, you're gonna leave here today without receiving anything. You've got to be willing to listen to what the word says. Amen? Okay, so we're talking about consecration. Consecration, bless you. Consecration is the act of separating something unto a special purpose. Okay? Now, how many of you put all your Christmas decorations away right after the holidays? Okay. Now, if we were to come over to your house in July and you still have all your Christmas stuff out, that would be kind of weird. And, and let, me, let me just go a little bit further with that to make my point. They wouldn't be special to you if you left them out all year long, right? Why? Because you're supposed to put them out at a special time. Why? Because they are, in effect, consecrated for the Christmas holiday, yes? yes? So then they're special. They're set apart. You don't use them all the time. If we come over to your house and you start setting the table with a poinsettia tablecloth, and, you know, and it's July... And, and you start putting out your, you know, the, the, the dinnerware that has all the, the Christmas decorations on it, and you've got Christmas music playing in the background. We're going to go, you're a weirdo. I'm not coming here anymore. <laughs> it's set apart for special use. Yes? Okay. So the act of consecration is allowing, we allow God to separate us for special use. Okay? You are not a common individual. I'm not, I'm not trying to puff you up, but listen to me. You, when you got born again, you entered into a different species of being. You are a flesh and bone and blood individual, but you have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you. That makes a distinction between you and the person who has not had that experience. We're not better. We're not worse. We're different. Are you listening? So you have the ability to relate to God differently than an individual who has never, ever professed any faith in God, who has never reached out to God, who has never prayed, who has never received Christ, you are different, okay? The act of consecration is God wanting to use you on the earth to stimulate someone to want to know what is different about you. Not that you've got a different haircut or you're wearing different clothes, but there's something different about the way you're carrying yourself. Your values are different. Your perspective on life is different. And so if that's true, and we know it is, then how can we live on this earth and allow God to use us as his chosen generation, a royal priesthood, okay? And then our finances are left out in the cold. Our finances are still operating like the rest of the world. Because listen to me, whether you want to believe it or not, People in our families that are not born again yet, when I say born again, you know what I'm talking about? 
people that have received Christ, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, you believe that God raised him from the dead, you have asked him, you have, you have asked him to come into your life, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Now, people in our families, people in our jobs, people in our neighborhoods, do you know that they watch what we do with our money? They watch to see if you're acting any different with your money than they act with theirs, okay? They watch to see how you respond to hardship. When we, were, when we lost our business and we're losing our home and losing vehicles and getting wiped out of everything, family members would say to me, I don't know how you're doing this. If I was you, I would have just tied a cinder block to my neck and thrown myself in the ocean. I don't think I could go through what you're going through. And I said, you're 100% right. If I did not have the relationship that I have with God, if, he did not, if I did not know his promises, if I, if I did not know that he is committed to me, I would feel that same way too. There's a difference. When you and I consecrate our finances unto God, what does that mean? When we take our finances as an act of our will, we are willing to say, God, thank you for all that you've given me. Thank you for the opportunity you give me every day to earn a living. I recognize it comes from you. I know if it wasn't for you, if you didn't put breath in my lungs, I wouldn't be able to get up in the morning and go to my job. In respect to you, Father, my finances are at your... um, they're under your control. They're yours. What do you want to do with it? That takes us out of the natural realm. That takes our money out of the natural realm and brings it into the realm of the supernatural. It's supernatural now. Why? Because now your money is attached to the kingdom of God. Your money is marked, and we're going to talk about that extensively in just a few minutes. Your money has a mission. It's on a mission. There is a mandate to your money. It is not just paper. It represents the ability to reach people, the ability to bring the gospel, the ability to bring healing, the ability to bring peace and deliverance and joy and contentment into the lives of people that have never experienced it before. It represents the ability to meet the needs of a widow. It represents the ability to feed people who can't afford to put food on their table. It represents the ability to be able to have a facility and a group of people operating for those that are under such oppression, maybe through addiction or through hurts and wounds, that you can bring healing to them, you can bring peace to them, you can bring relief to them. That's what your money represents when it's attached to the kingdom of God. When it is not attached to the kingdom of God, let me just say up at a time, let's make this real clear. Nobody goes to hell for not giving offerings. Nobody goes to hell for not bringing their tithes, and we'll talk about what tithe is in just a few minutes. Nobody goes to hell because they just kept all their money. Now, you might live like hell here on the earth, but let's just be honest. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need our money. Jesus proved it in the wilderness when he fed 15,000 people with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. God can do whatever he wants. He allows us and encourages us to have a part in what he's doing so that we enjoy the benefits of it. Are you listening? All right, let's get into the word. So, last week when I started this out, and if you weren't here last week, please, please, go on the website, go to the media page, listen to the message from last weekend. It's impossible for me. I can't review last weekend completely and then do part two of this series. So, just to kind of like, give you like some of the the highlights. Last week, we found this out by the end of the service, that when we consecrate our finances to God, it brings us to a place of safety, of security, and stability. 
safety in that when you say, God, everything I have is yours. My finances are yours. I want it to be under your influence. This is what you have, you have commanded me to do with my finances. I'm going to obey that, knowing that when I give you free reign of my finances, they now, watch this, become your responsibility. They're his responsibility. It's his responsibility to protect them. It's his responsibility to increase them. It's his responsibility. Now, let me ask you this question. I can't think of a better illustration along these lines. I just felt like last service, I needed to ask this question. How many have ever lived in a rented home? You know, raise your hand. Go ahead. How many have lived in a rented home? And how many of you said when you were living in a rental, wow, I wish I had my own house, wish I had my own house. But when you live in a rented home, guess what? You get the phone, you go, uh, Mr. Landlord, your toilet, your toilet <laughs> is plugged up. <laughs> Mr. Landlord, the wind came and blew the, your storm door off the front of the house, Mr. Landlord. Now, now who owns the house? The landlord. Who's living in it? You. Whose responsibility is it to upkeep it? His. Oh, man. Now you get your own house. And you start going, you know what? It wasn't that bad when we lived in a rented house. When you take your finances and you place them in the hands of God, and I'm talking about everything. That's not what this teaching is about. You know, just give me some time. I'm just trying to unpack this thing. But when we, when we follow the instructions that God has given us, he is obligated to watch over these things. He brings us safety by protection. He brings us security to know, okay, if anything's to happen here. Like, listen, let me just be honest with you. My wife and I have tithed, and I'll explain what that is later. Some of you know what I'm talking about. From the first day that I ever came to a church, second Sunday, second Sunday. Okay, I, to this day, still don't know how I knew. I just knew. This is what we we're supposed to do, Okay. Now, we went through a bankruptcy. But listen, we went through the bankruptcy. We didn't get stuck in it. We recovered from it. And let me, life on this side of the bankruptcy, oh, my Lord, is a whole lot better. Whole lot better. Now, we had money. When I first got born again, I came to a kid, we were in good shape financially. We, had, we owned a couple of homes. Had one house that was rented out, had multiple vehicles, had a great business, making a ton of money, okay? How do you figure this one? I get born again, and now everything goes south, okay? But watch this now. Because we were convinced that we were going to stick with the principles of God, that no matter what it was, and I used this, this illustration last night when I was talking about I noticed this. We had a, when we had a lot of money, when we were in our business, had a lot of money, I'm talking about 30-something 30 year, 30 years ago. It was easy to grab a couple of thousand dollars and throw it in the offering. You listen to me? It was easy, because we had it. But I noticed when we went into bankruptcy, and maybe I only earned $100 that week, it was a, a little bit of sacrifice to take that $10, that first 10%, and, and offer it, unto, bring it unto the Lord in gratitude. But this is what I noticed. And it was a, I, there's no other way I could have seen this. The blessing that we received in our lives was greater on the $10 than it was on the $2,000. Big watching that. Why? Because the $2,000 came out of excess. The $100, the $10 came out of, we can really use this. It's not about the money. It's about the attitude, and it's about the faith.
I have found this out through the word of God. There are two main things that God wants from us. Number one, he wants to be first. Number two, he wants us to trust him. And he knows that when we follow, in order for us to follow the instructions he gives us with our finances, it's going to require us putting him first and it's going to require us trusting him. But when you do that, you enter into an entirely different dimension of life. We've had challenges through the years. We don't, we don't, we don't live in a glass jar. We have, to, we have had challenges through the years. But guess what? He has taken us through every one of those challenges. And honestly, truthfully, before God, I could say this, that we have not, we, we have not chosen to take on any kind of financial pressure for decades. Why? We're serving God. This is his ministry. If he can't make this thing run, then nobody can. Now, did you hear the wording I used? We have chosen not to take the pressure. Now, have we had opportunities to take pressure? Oh, Jesus. Sure, we've had opportunities. But we have chosen not to take that pressure. But what is that based on? Is it just a positive thinking thing? Is it just we just choose to be, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Do we choose to just put our heads in the sand and be just oblivious to any kind of financial problem? No, no. That kind of security and that kind of, of peace of mind comes from the fact that we know this stuff works. We know that when we have operated in the principle of putting God first in our finances, it brings a freedom like you cannot believe. Now, it might be a challenge in the beginning. That's why God says, and we're going to get to that scripture. You might as well go to Malachi chapter 3. God says, try me in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. Next verse. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. What a promise. What a promise. So what's God saying here? God's saying, if you put me first, so that there's provision in my house, God says. And what's he talking about? Well, back then he was talking about the temple. Today, he's talking about the ministry. He's talking about the local church. The local church is set up so that the, the, the provision of God comes in through God's people so that the people of God can meet the needs of others that are in need, that we can conduct and have this place open here, the lights, the, the music, the whole bit, everything here. Do you, do you like what you experience when you come here? Just a few people. Do, do you like what you experience when you come here? Yes. Okay, so um, you made this happen. You let God use you to let this all happen. That's the way it's supposed to be because that's how we all participate together in seeing the kingdom of God manifesting here on the earth and people benefiting from it. Amen? Amen. It's not like we got a secret tunnel that, you know, secret pipeline from heaven that you know, there's no, there's no did you know there's no cash in heaven what a thought there's no cash in heaven where is it all it's here on the earth now does god know how to get it from point a to point b oh yeah and he knows who can get it through and he knows who he can work through and he also knows who he's not going to be able to work through who's not going to cooperate are you listening to me now we're talking about God and money today. We're going to tackle this money issue. God's plan for consecrating our finances is found 
in that scripture that we just read. Let me read the whole thing again. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What is tithe? What is the word tithe? For those of you that never heard that word, or you've heard the word, you never knew, really understood what it meant. Tithe is an old English, English. Tithe is an old English word that means a tenth, one-tenth. In other words, 10%, okay? Now, don't get nervous. It's only 10%. If I had written the Bible, I would have went for 25%. Because it's unreasonable to have a silent partner in your life and them expect to get less than 25%. That's just the real world. God says, no, 10%. Just give me 10%. But make sure it's first. Because it's not about the 10%. It's about the first. You li- it's about fir- say it's about first. Turn to somebody say, God wants it first. So bring all the 10th into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. Next verse. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I like that kind of blessing. Why? 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 So I can walk around like, no, I like that kind of blessing that I don't have room enough. Why? Because I know there's people that have needs. And that I not only get, I only have, I only get my house bills paid, but I have enough left over to help whoever else is having trouble because maybe they haven't gotten there yet. You're listening to me? I don't want that kind of overflow blessing so that I got to worry about where am I going to keep it, how am I going to protect it, all this other kind of stuff. I don't want to have to worry about paying insurance on six cars. I don't want to worry about that stuff. I want to have our needs met, and I want to have enough to bless others. To Listen, to invest in the lives of those people who are maybe having hardship right now. Widows. People that, people that have lost their jobs, individuals that might have gotten affected by some type of, type of natural disaster. You know, stuff happens in people's lives. You realize that? Stuff happens. People get sick. Uh, investments fall through. Stuff happens. So, so the goal is God wants to get enough into your possession, into your hands, so that you don't have to be worried night and day, night and day, night and day, how am I going to live? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drive? Because when you're under that kind of pressure, listen, you're not thinking about your neighbor down the street that's in need. You're thinking about you. Yes or no? Come on, let's be real honest with each other. Okay, when we're under that kind of pressure, we're not thinking about the little widow down the street. We're not thinking about the person whose car broke down, they need to get to work. We start thinking about ourselves, and God wants us free from that kind of pressure. Are you listening? Why? He wants to use you as an instrument of his love and of his compassion and of his provision. And you can't de- do that if you're all weighed down. Right? Amen? So, next verse. Now, watch this. And he says, if you do that, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. You're going to pour out such a blessing that you can't, you can't even receive it. And here's even more important. God's speaking now. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that, look at, look at say that next word, so that he, come on, say it, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. So wait a second. He's talking about a whole different level here. He's not talking about the hurricane that comes through and wipes you out. He's not talking about some sickness that comes in. He's saying to us that we have an entity who is committed to destroy our finances, our well-being, our health, our material goods, our peace of mind, and God says, God knows who he is. He says, I'll rebuke him. 
for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Now, mind you now, this is written to an agricultural society. They didn't deal with money. They didn't deal with paper money. They might have had coins here and there later on in history. But at this time, for the most part, he's dealing with an agricultural society. We can't relate to that. When was the last time, like, I'll come to your house, I'll bring you six eggs, you give me three tomatoes. I'll bring you a couple of chickens, you give me a couple of gallons of milk. That's the society he's talking to there. So it's in terms of what meant to them. A person's wealth was based on what their ground could produce, what their livestock could produce. Are, are you listening? So he's saying, I rebuke that one who's going to come and try to destroy your crops. I'll rebuke that one who's going to try to make your cattle sick and let them die beforehand so that you're impoverished. Listen to me, church. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says that he's going to do something about the devil. Every place else, he gives us authority to take command over the kingdom of darkness. In this promise here, attached to your finances, attached to our income, he said, if you'll put me first in this and you'll just take off the first 10%, you set that aside, that's for use in my kingdom, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Your crops will produce. Your vines will not cast their fruit before their time. Now, we don't, most of us, you might have a little bit of a garden, but I doubt very much if you're paying your mortgage off of your garden. Okay? <laughs> so we have jobs, we have income. He's saying, I'll protect that. Whatever source in your life that's producing income, I will, I will rebuke the one who wants to destroy it. And your vines will not cast their fruit. In other words, they won't throw. They will, your tomatoes, if you look at it that way, won't fall off the vine ahead of time. Okay, I hate when that happens. Okay, have you ever had gardens? We had gardens years ago, and they'd be in the dirt, real full of worms. By the time you find them, they're no good anymore. He's saying, figuratively speaking, your investments will be protected. Anything that requires a seed, time, and harvest will be protected. Now, we have two sources, of two, most of the time, we have two sources of income. We have our regular jobs, our, our, our paycheck, week-to-week paycheck, and then some of us may have some investments. He's covering both areas there in that scripture. Are you, are you catching that? Are you seeing it? Okay. But it's tied to our cooperation. Are you listening? Now, this whole concept of the tithe, Jesus, goes way back to the Garden of Eden, okay? Remember this, please. I I want every one of you to become Bible students. I want every one of us to become experts in the Word of God. Now, understand this. If someone presents a doctrine to you, even what I'm presenting to you this weekend, if you cannot find the roots of that thing in the book of Genesis, throw it away. It doesn't exist. It's not true. God set up the book of Genesis to be loaded with types and shadows, symbols, pictures, illustrations pertaining to the future. Okay? If I bring a teaching to you or you listen to somebody on TV or go to someplace else and somebody teaches something and you can't find that doctrine in the book of Genesis, get rid of it. Throw it aside. So then we should expect to see this tithe principle in Genesis. And we do. Now remember, the tithe is, God says you take the first tenth, you take the first whatever and put it aside. That's not for us to use. Yes or no? 
Okay, so what do we have in Genesis? God creates a garden. He, he creates all of these different trees, fruit, vegetables, everything. And he says to Adam, you can eat all of this, but don't touch that. Right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we have the first picture, the first symbol, the first illustration of what's going to take place and kind of solidify in the future. Genesis chapter 14, okay? Uh, do you have that scripture? If we can go to it real quick. And you got to move quick. You're going to listen quick? Because you got to move quick. Uh, Abraham goes and fights a battle to rescue his nephew Lot. He's got to fight a bunch of kings, four kings, I believe it is. After, so he's, he's, he's victorious. He, with just 318 of his own servants, defeats four armies, okay? On his way back, he's got to pass by a city called Salem, which eventually becomes Jerusalem. Jerusalem, okay? So, and Abraham returned from defeating that guy, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the, that is the king's valley. Next verse. Then Melchizedek, an individual that we know very little about in the scriptures. There's a lot of different opinions, but that is not his name. That is his title. Melchizedek is based on two Hebrew words, Melech, Zedek. Melech, king, Zedek, righteousness. So this literally says, then the, the king of righteousness, who happens to be the king over the area of Salem, which will eventually become Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine, bread and wine. When you hear bread and wine, what do you think of? Communion. First picture. You catching this? So he brings that bread and wine. He is the priest of God Most High, El Elyon, Most High God. Next verse. And he, Melchizedek, Melech Zedek, blessed Abraham, saying, so this is another picture here, you can only bless somebody saying, which is a picture of what we're supposed to use our words for. Amen? So he blessed Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Next verse. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. He's praying this blessing over him. And look at this. And then Abram, read the rest of the yellow words with me. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. All the loot, all the spoil, everything that he recovered from these armies. He gives one-tenth to this king of Salem. So we see the picture in Genesis. We see the first mention of it in Genesis chapter 14. Now watch this now. Sun stands still, moon stands still. The clock's got to stand still. Okay, watch. Now watch this now. Later on, about another 400 and some odd years, God begins to give Moses more revelation into this tithe principle. And then Moses brings it and makes it officially part of the commands of God. And then it becomes part of the law of Moses. Pastor, why are you making such a big deal of this? Because some of you have been taught that the tithe is under the law, and since we're not under the law anymore, tithing is not for today. No, tithing was preexistent before the law, at least by 400 years. It was brought in to officially just encapsulate it together with all the other commands of God. Jesus endorsed tithing in the New Testament in the Gospels. You can go, just go search it for yourself. I don't have time to go there. Now, speaking of the law of Moses, speaking of the Ten Commandments, speaking of all those commands that, that God gave, 
They're to serve two purposes. The law of God, the commands of God serve two purposes. Number one, it's to show mankind there is no way for you to fulfill these rules. There is no way for you, for your entire life, to keep these laws and to be perfect. It's impossible. That's why Jesus had to come, and he's the only one that was perfect enough to fulfill those laws. So what does it teach us? Number one, the commands of God teach us, I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. Okay, you got that? Number two, the commands of God exist to separate, to make a separation and a distinction between the people that belong to God and the people who not yet knew God. Are you catching this? All right? So in the Old Testament, the Jews understood there's a certain way you have to live. I'm only worshiping one God, which to the pagan culture of that time was ridiculous. Why would you, why would you only have one God? Most cultures had multiple dozens and some, sometimes hundreds of gods. The idea of them worshiping one God set them apart from the rest of the world. They were given dietary laws. You can eat this, you can't eat that. They were given laws on the Sabbath. You can walk this far, you can't walk any further. You can do this, you can't do that. Oh, this, it's, this is not, God's not a quirky God. He gave those commands so that they would be distinguished from the rest of the world and the rest of the people on this planet. So, so in ancient times, they were called the people of the book because they were the only ones that had their, their instructions from God at that time. They were the only ones that had them in written form. You remember Moses, on the, you know, Charlton Heston on top of the mountain? Okay. So those two things served. The purpose of having the law was to teach us that we need a savior, but even just as importantly, to, to distinguish us from the rest of the world. Now, we are the church. We are the body of Christ on the earth. Now, we're not distinguished in this time frame of human history the same way the people in the Old Testament were. But Everything and everyone that belongs to God has a mark stating this one belongs to the Lord. Are you following me? Now, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we've been sealed. When you and I became born again, when you asked Jesus to come into your life, the Holy Spirit came in, Ephesians chapter 1, in him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the word of God, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, how many, how many believed? How many have believed? How many have said, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in who he is? Okay. How many say, you were what? Sealed in who? In Christ with what? The Holy Spirit of promise. Next verse. Who, the Holy Spirit, is given as a what? pledge of our inheritance. I don't have to read the rest of that. Now, what does that mean? There is something that exists in the realm of the spirit. We can't see the natural, but there's something that happens when you and I get born again, the Holy Spirit comes and seals us. Now, we lose the significance of this in our culture today, but to the Roman world, when they read this, when they heard this, when this letter was read to the believers, they understood immediately what Paul was saying. In ancient times, the validity of any document or a letter that you received was not considered valid unless it had a Roman seal 
an insignia on it. In other words, that you could not open that under penalty of death. Only the person that that was addressed to had the right to open that seal. And if you did, you could lose your life. Okay? They understood what they were saying. They understood there's no, there's no doubt when you see that seal on a scroll, you knew this was genuinely, this is something 100% genuine, documented by the seal of the Roman government. Are you catching this? So the Bible tells us there's somehow we're sealed in our spirit, we're sealed. Now, in the Old Testament, there was another kind of seal. But remember, everyone and everything that belongs to the Lord has a mark in it, a seal in it. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Okay? And in that covenant, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. Usually it's between a weaker party and a stronger party for the benefit of the weaker party. It is not to be mistaken with a contract. A contract, which most of us only deal with contracts anymore, a contract has legal implications. A covenant has spiritual implications. When you break covenant, there are spiritual implications. Now, I'm going to make a statement. I'm not trying to pour salt in anybody's wound. I'm not trying to alienate anybody. I am just wanting to use an illustration. And those of you that this pertains to, you will understand the illustration. The greatest example we have today in our society, in our culture, of a covenant is marriage. Okay? Now, anyone who's gone through a divorce understands how much that hurts. It goes way beyond legal. It goes way beyond who's going to get the house, who's going to get the car, who's going to get the kids, who's going to get... It goes way beyond. There is a tearing in the soul when you, when you experience it. I don't care who you are. I'm, I, I, for those of you that have gone through that, my heart is with you, but you understand what I'm talking about. That has spiritual implications. It gets you in your soul. Okay? So God is making a covenant with Abraham. And he said to him, it's revealed to us in Genesis 17. I'm just going to read, just going to paraphrase it because we're running out of time. Abraham says to, excuse me, God says to Abraham, you and all of your male servants, every member of your family must be circumcised. That mark in their body set them apart. Once a person was circumcised, once a male is circumcised, there is no going back. In other words, it's, you cannot deny that this person has subjected themselves to this ritual, this procedure, and we don't do it today for that reason, but originally this is what it was, it was given to Abraham, so that the people of God would carry a mark in their body saying, this one is sealed. This one belongs to God Almighty through covenant. When a person received that mark in their body, it was as good as God guaranteeing that person, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to watch over you, I'll always be with you, I'll always provide for you. That's the mark that they carried, okay? What is the mark for? To identify who belongs to God and who does not belong to God. Are you following me so far? Remember in the New Testament, our soul, our spirit, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and does what? Seals us. In the Old Testament, it was the mark in the male's body. In the New Testament, is the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. But now watch this now. The tithe is a cutting away, just like circumcision. God asks us to take that first 
and cut it away. The 90% is yours. The 10% needs to be brought to him, offered to him as an act of worship, as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of gratitude, just like when Abraham came back from that victory over those kings, out of thanksgiving and gratitude, he gave one-tenth of what he got to this Melchizedek. And if you notice, Melchizedek blesses him first, and then Abraham gives him the tithe. Abraham doesn't bring the tithe looking for the blessing. Abraham brings the tithe in, resp- are you get- in response to the blessing. Are you listening? Because some people have been taught that if you don't pay your tithe, God's going to destroy your home. God's going to make your kids sick. God's going to make your car break down. God is not a loan shark. Some people pay their tithes because they're long shot. Oh, man, I've been to church. Maybe the church, is the door still open? I've kind of got to pay them off, but pay them off because, you know, this, hard, this angry God is just going to strike me down. Oh, you got the wrong God. You got the wrong God. Nobody goes to hell for not paying their tithes. You might be in that kind of pressure on the earth, but nobody goes to hell for not paying their tithes. Are you listening to me? So, so let me ask you this question. If everything that belongs to the Lord must bear this mark, Where's your finances at? Are they identified as belonging to the Lord? Or are they, are they just yours? If they don't have that mark, if look, let me put it this way, and this is contrary to a lot of us, we don't like to think this way. If there's not something missing in our finances, they're not consecrated. Are your finances consecrated? Are they missing something? Has there a cutting away that takes place in your finances? Are you just 100% mine? After all, you know, I'm the one that went out and worked for it. I'm the one that earned it. And if God didn't give you the job and didn't give you the breath in your lungs, you wouldn't be able to do any of that. Are you listening? So, So where is our honor? Because you see, back in the Old Testament, it was an honor to bring your child on the eighth day to be circumcised, to bring your son on the eighth day, on the eighth day. When, when vitamin K is the highest level in a male's body on the eighth day that they're born so that they don't bleed to death, on that eighth day is when God said, that's when you bring them. It was an honor. And that's why people say, Pastor, I understand. Why did God almost kill Moses because he didn't circumcise his children? Because he did not honor God. He did not teach his children. He was keeping them outside of the covenant. So, so let me ask you this question. Are, are your finances, are they whole? Or are they circumcised? Are you willingly, when, when soon as you get it? Because it's got to be first. Okay, well, Pastor, you know, let me pay all my bills. And let me say, no, 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 no. God doesn't eat leftovers. You, you listen to me? It's got to be first. Why? Because if you wait till you see what you have left, what faith is there? But when you go, hey, no, this is, go- this is first. Now all of a sudden it requires trust. Now all of a sudden it requires faith. And what's God want from us? Trust and faith. Are you listening? I hope that I've been successful today to at least get you thinking. Thinking about this principle that God has meant for us to follow so that we wouldn't have to live every stinking day pressures of life, of how am I going to pay my bills? Because the 90% is blessed when the 10%
is presented to God. All I can do is bring the information. All I can do is present it to you. This choice is between you and God. Amen? Amen. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.